This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, January 18th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Following the attack on the Capitol, the TSA placed many people suspected of participating in that attack on no-fly lists. Problem is that many of those people, perhaps even most of them, didn't do anything but attend a rally. Patrick Eddington discusses the use of no-fly lists when criminal charges haven't been filed and the broader risk of these kinds of actions to Americans when they occur without due process. I've received many memes in my texts from friends, among others, uh, and I read uh, on the internet in various places and uh, seen this this sort of very stark video of, of a man who's been denied the ability to fly on a plane. And uh, he's crying and uh, crying that he's been called a terrorist. Uh, uh, and a lot of people jumping on and just dunking on him and making fun of him. And so, well, maybe you shouldn't have wrecked the Capitol, you jerk. And I, my first thought was, well, if this guy wrecked the Capitol, why is he standing around in an airport crying? Why isn't he under arrest? Why isn't he in jail? And uh, But more broadly, I think a lot of people have uh, taken some shameful joy, I believe there's a German word for that, in uh, seeing these right-wingers essentially uh, denied the ability to travel quickly and efficiently, which air travel, of course, does. Uh, and, and they've done so with these no-fly lists. Airlines have their own, but uh, the federal government is sort of the, uh, the keeper of the ultimate no-fly lists. So before we understand whether or not these people are appropriately on a no-fly list, let's let's dig down a little bit into the background of what no-fly lists actually do. So the original one, of course, came into being uh, during the first Bush administration and uh, has, has, of course, kind of mutated over time. You, you actually have several different tiers. You've, you've referred, actually, to kind of the bifurcation that we have. Uh, the airlines themselves, of course, have have their own list of of passengers who, uh, because they've been problematic in the past, let's say the the angry drunk uh, who does who does not understand how to deal with things on a plane. A good friend of mine, for example, no longer welcome on Aer Lingus. <laughs> so we have uh, you know the airlines uh, maintain their own list, but then of course the. The no-fly list it, itself has been sold as this counterterrorism tool, and there's no question that it has been uh, at least somewhat effective in keeping uh, bad people, genuine bad actors, off of uh, airlines. Uh, that being said, when The Intercept got its hands on the actual watch list criteria, this was in 2014 that I believe Jeremy Scahill and Ryan Devereaux got this 166-page document, it makes it very clear that, that you don't actually have to have uh, concrete evidence, essentially, uh, to, to nominate, and that's the word they use, nominate, you get nominated to be on this list, uh, to actually get on the list necessarily. And, and so the, the vague nature of, uh, of the criteria, I think my, the shifting nature of the criteria oftentimes, itself raises fundamental due process issues. And, you know, one of the things that uh, former now former Congressman Justin Amash did in 2019 was to introduce legislation that would actually prohibit 
DHS and specifically TSA from denying boarding to people uh, who were on any list unless they were actually convicted felons, unless they were actually convicted of a terrorism-related offense. Right. The question that uh, ought to be at the top of everyone's minds is if you are placed on a no-fly list, to whom do you go to be removed from the no-fly list? Yeah, and you have. That's it's that was not clear for uh, more than a decade, at least. Now, is yeah, it clear now? Well, you you have a so-called redress process that you could try to go through with with TSA, but if the same agency that that puts you on the list uh, or a sister agency that works with TSA, let's say FBI. Uh, you don't have the ability to go to court. So you're suggesting that this is not an adversarial proceeding. There is anything but an adversarial proceeding that would allow you to actually get cleared uh, and not have to deal with this. And the other thing, too, is I haven't seen any evidence uh, that GAO or or the DHS inspector general uh, have been charged with doing annual audits of this stuff to basically say, hey, why are these, uh, you know, 15,000 dead people still on your no-fly list? You know, what what is the story here? And ha- why do you have 100 different duplicates uh, or variants of this particular person's name and so on and so forth? Or, or why did so-and-so even wind up on this list in the first place? And, and the Boston Globe did this series of pieces in 2018 on the so-called Quiet Skies program, which is essentially a, a, a notch, supposed to be a notch below the no-fly list. And, and what the Globe team learned is that at least 5,000 Americans were placed on that list for for no real reason. I mean, no no actual criminal predicate, no reason that they were uh, suspected of being a passenger who would try to rush the cabin door or anything like that. So again, w- when you have this kind of due process free environment, uh, it opens it up to all manner of abuse. And I think what I worry about now is Senator Schumer of, of New York and then uh Benny Thompson, the, the Democratic chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, calling for basically every so-called rioter uh, who was at the Capitol on, on January 6th to be just automatically now placed on these lists. Uh, that, that's not, in my judgment, remotely uh, in, in comportment with the First and, and the Fourth Amendments to the Constitution of the United States. It, it just reminds me this whole knee-jerk reaction unfortunately, reminds me of 9-11, right? We have these terrible tragedy and it's always the same, right? It's terrible tragedy. And then suddenly Congress is like, we have to quote, do something. And that's when bad things really start to happen. Uh, you, you pass sweeping laws uh, that wind up staying on the books for years, maybe decades, as is the case with the Patriot Act. And they don't actually do anything to stop it. And the thing that I don't think any reporters like pointed out to Schumer or Thompson so far, at least that I can tell, is that Hey, that guy that showed up with the Molotov cocktails in his pickup, uh, yeah, he didn't fly there. He, he drove there. Um, so I, I think the lack of, of, of logic is an outgrowth of, of the hyper emotion that we all kind of feel right now. And mem- members, you know, staff ought to be trying to restrain members, you know, from going down that road, but it doesn't always happen. And so that's what we're seeing from Schumer and Thompson right now. Uh, at the very least, and I don't recall exactly who was on what side of the no-fly lists that were rolled out after uh, 9-11, uh, but it seems to me there may well be some overlap between the people who opposed uh, no-fly lists uh, after 
and the people who are vigorously supporting them today? I, I think you're probably right in that respect. I think if a little bit of research was done, you could probably come up with some names. Um, you know, here's, here's the thing. What I worry about is in this supercharged environment, we are going to see an enormous amount of pressure coming from the Congress for FBI, DHS, and any other agency that has the ability to, quote, nominate people to go on this list to do exactly that. Uh, we're going to wind up with some people getting on that list that don't belong on it, maybe even people that weren't even at the Capitol. Uh, they're relying on a lot of digital imagery. You know, when the FBI and the and the U.S. Attorney's Office for D.C. held their press conference this week, they said they had uh, at least 100,000 pieces of digital evidence. How many of those those photographs have been altered? You know, uh, how many people are trying to settle scores right now by by sending things to the FBI saying, hey, this one was down there, you know, check this out. So the prospect for abuse, I think, uh, is, is rife. And that's why we need to have, you know, a moment of reflection, some, some calm, some common sense. Uh, whether we're going to have that or not, I think, is an open question, given how high passions are right now. But the idea that putting everybody on a list just because they happen to be down there uh, is due process free insanity. There, there's, there's no question about that. And it, and, it, and it also won't work. I mean, that's the other thing about it, too. These people, they, since, they, since Parler and Gab are being denied to them at this point in time and, and, uh, and Twitter has given the boot to their cheerleader, uh, outgoing President Trump, uh, these folks are going to things like Telegram and, and probably a, a number of other platforms. Uh, and if they feel like the airlines are going to turn them away, they'll just drive here uh, if that's what they decide to do. Uh, or they'll step closer to home and go to their state capital, uh, in, in which case you won't even have to get uh, get to an airport to do that in most cases. So it's it's an overreaction. It'll be ineffective. It'll result in rights violations. It won't solve the problem. We should also note that there were people who attended the protest who are fans of Donald Trump, who probably believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump, who, uh, upon hearing his speech, went back to their hotels. And, and, the, and those, are the, those are some of the people that people like Chuck Schumer would like to see on a no-fly list. And I and I think that's exactly you know what we have to be concerned about here. Just because somebody was on the Capitol grounds does not mean that they should necessarily be put on that list. I as I should point out, you know, as of yesterday at least, the the FBI had uh, at least 170 open cases right now. They're going to have hundreds before it's over. And here's the thing: if you are facing an outstanding warrant, you're going to go on that no-fly list. So the people that they've actually identified that were directly re, uh, responsible for this violence, they they are going to go on that list. Uh, and if if they're wanted for an actual crime, that's an appropriate use of the list. You know, there there's a predicate there, right? But just because people went down there and and maybe waved a flag and and maybe they maybe they went past you know the bike barricades, you know when they were overrun by the rest of the crowd and they were on the ground and they're and they're guilty of trespass. That does not mean that those people should necessarily be subjected, you know, to a lifetime of uh, potentially a lifetime of not being able to get on an airplane. I mean, that's just kind of clearly capricious, arbitrary and and totally counterproductive. Two notable people that were on no fly lists, Ted Kennedy, uh, senator from Massachusetts and and John Lewis, 
the uh, civil rights leader and uh, U.S. representative. So uh, how were those cases dealt with? You assume that as a member of Congress that you can call someone up and say, take me off of this list. For the rest of us, though. Well, and even Kennedy and Lewis were not able to get their names off the list, right? So if, if the most powerful, if the most politically powerful and connected people in our country can wind up getting on these kinds of lists and face this kind of stuff every time they want to actually get on an airplane, uh, think about the enormous barriers that stand between people, ordinary people from all across this country. In, in terms of trying to get their names off the list. And the other thing to bear in mind too, and I guess this is one of the silver linings in all of this, uh, at least potentially, back in December, uh, the Supreme Court unanimously ruled that several Muslim men who were placed on the government's no-fly list because they wouldn't become FBI stool pigeons could in fact sue the agents who did that to them. That's what's known as a, as a Bivens claim. Um, so, you know, there's at least that. Uh, and, and so, you know, if you have evangelicals, for example, who participated uh, in, in this pro-Trump event that turned into an insurrection, um, they might well have a case there, uh, you know, from a, uh, from a constitutional standpoint, if the FBI tries to roll them. And I do expect that. I mean, I expect the Bureau to try to turn a number of these people at the end of the day. Uh, it's kind of a standard tactic. But for the vast majority of these folks, if, they're, if their images wind up there, uh, they're they're going to wind up potentially getting on this list if Schumer and Thompson have their way. And I think we need to see pushback, a lot of pushback, on just trying to basically label every single human being down there uh, a, a terrorist. You know, there were specific people that engaged in specific acts. There may have been hundreds of them. But the idea that, you know, all five or 10,000 of the people down there should necessarily not be able to, to travel by air again for the rest of their lives to me is just nonsensical. Patrick Eddington is a research fellow in Homeland Security and Civil Liberties at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.